Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. In this episode of the Software Lifecycle Stories, PM Power colleagues Shivaguru and A Narasimhan, also known as AN, explore several facets of AN's experiences. These include how he launched a startup with friends, discovering and developing innovative features by trapping OS interrupts, experiences of techno marketing, the need to adapt one's coaching style based on geography and cultures, helping individuals open up and improving team effectiveness and AN's interest in philosophy listen on hi AN welcome to the show i'm very happy Hello. that finally we've been able to connect and have you as a guest yeah thanks you it's been my pleasure and uh, we normally start start our podcast with uh, a self introduction from the guest So, if you could introduce yourself for our listeners, then we'll carry on the conversation from there. Okay. So, I'll try to be uh, a bit uh, brief, as much brief as possible. I'm a, basically an electrical engineer with a post graduation in industrial management from the Indian Institute of Science. And uh, from the campus, I got into a software company, and uh, I worked in three companies uh, three years. every year i change jobs and uh, probably at that time it was a bit rare but uh, and then uh, four of us got together and started uh, our own uh, software development company and we were just taking all uh, odd jobs i mean whatever interests us basically into to, to do with development initially i worked uh, for a few years on uh, cobol and then uh, i was a i've done a lot of coding in fortran and majority of my coding career has been with c language and assembly language and i worked a lot in real time embedded systems and mission critical software for communication software for avionics systems then we got into international market and started looking at you know larger applications and uh, so we had offices abroad in europe and the us and so i used to travel a lot also on techno marketing uh, and of assignments so and get some get projects and we had very good interesting projects we were always looking at uh, the interest factor in the project rather than anything else and we had some good products also after that uh, at some point of time uh, the market was not so good the september 11 uh, incident also had an impact on the internet companies and uh, small companies basically we were not in, i i wouldn't say we were an internet company but uh, we were a small company of 100 people so it had a impact we were at a point of time where we had a very big product and uh, uh, we couldn't really get venture funds and uh, you know it was our time so i decided to get out at that time and i said uh, enough of adventure and uh, let me do some 
consulting and you know so so and then that's when i got into uh, agile introduced to agile and uh, i was a chief consultant at siemens then i was uh, trained by ken schwaber that gave me a lot of confidence and uh, it was a very successful uh, assignment i had tra- you know transforming a large team of 200 plus and having they been there for 3 years i was feeling a bit uh, choked after the project got over being an entrepreneur all my life so then i came out and i've been the last 14 years into agile uh, you know, corporate training and uh, coaching uh, so a number of companies uh, in india almost all major cities and uh, malaysia and also i've done couple of trainings in the us so that's uh, my journey and now i am more into uh, part time so i have reduced and in the meanwhile i had some a lot of personal interests in the area of philosophy so i worked a lot on that area out of my own passion and uh, so both are going in parallel right now so somehow it's been uh, it's been good for me and i am i'm enjoying so that's a very very brief uh, background about myself very nice thing in fact uh, <laughs> i liked when you said the that the venture was more of an adventure and you wanted less of that yeah <laughs> we've had a couple of other guests earlier in the podcast where yeah. they have been serial entrepreneurs or they've also tried their hand at entrepreneurship okay from being a hardcore techie yeah uh, how was the transition to being an entrepreneur i have a couple of follow on questions which are related to agile i'll come to that later okay uh, you know try to understand you know, what made you you know venture out and then you know how was that journey and then as a techie when you said you were also doing techie yeah 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 we were actually hardcore uh, techies uh, four of us so when we were working in uh, so the three companies i worked in one of them was a, a services company and the second one was a manufacturer third one was a product development company so kind of give me a very uh, uh, you know good introduction to different uh, aspects of the industry and though industry was very raw at that time and a lot of companies were uh, just starting and uh, wipro and all probably had something like 1500 2000 people at that time and uh, we were uh, very confident because right from my engineering days uh, i was doing a lot of programming i had a lot of interest in uh, uh, programming and uh, i had uh, written a number of programs and uh, applications right from my engineering days so i was uh, all of us were quite of kind of uh, very confident and we just it just happened we just uh, decided that one day and came out and uh, we went and met a few companies wherever we met uh, we had a very good uh, uh, you know acceptance and we started projects within uh, probably a week of starting we had a handful of projects so that gave us a lot of confidence and it's been just uh, coming so we used to just take turns uh, doing marketing or meeting and then executing projects and being youngsters we had a lot of enthusiasm interest and uh, we were also very particular about the kind of projects and i would say we were very lucky to get that kind of projects like uh, 
probably the, the earliest uh, spreadsheet uh, in C language on a Unix OS was developed by us, uh, you know, two of us. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, in India, probably. And uh, companies like Wipro used to buy on their WDOS OS and they bought it actually. And we had very interesting software on uh, uh, IBM PC where you could actually, uh, we developed a, what is known as an online, online um, help uh, for, uh, for basic and Fortran language for people who are learning. And the kind of software we wrote was not uh, seen in India at that time. So when you are actually writing an interpreter, you're writing a, a basic uh, program or using an interpreter, you could just uh, press a hotkey and move your cursor and place it on a word, press return, it will open up the document for that and show you the syntax for that word and all those things. So we used to do this kind of uh, OS, uh, at the OS level, we used to trap the operating system interrupts and all that. And I, I wrote a lot of software in assembly language that time. So that was a very huge hit actually, but of course the market was very raw and, uh, but still gave us a lot of, uh, satisfaction writing that kind of software and be surviving as entrepreneurs mm, very nice yeah one yeah. question here is that uh, somebody i know who yeah. is a hardcore techie yeah. and he also wanted to do things like this and he's yeah, i learned it was supposed to write a virus okay <laughs> so do you have any such uh, <laughs> no I, I didn't no i didn't write any virus but uh, I had the certain programs at OS level and then learned certain tricks mm. how to write the operating system level. I know things like, uh, you know, uh, there was interrupt 21 where the operating system uh, does, that's an operating system interrupt. So uh, uh, capturing that and taking over that. And uh, so when you press a hotkey, your control will come to your program before it goes to the OS. These kind of things were not published anywhere. So we did a lot of hacking and uh, found out some of these things, actually. That was very, very, very interesting uh, days, I would say. Mm. Did some of those techniques help you with your current research, you know, trying to pick up things that are undocumented or uh, interpret differently? Uh, yeah, I would say I always had that kind of interest in any area I work on. So probably it has helped me. <laughs> I don't know, maybe indirectly it would have helped me a lot, I would say, definitely. And we did some good projects later on also. One of them uh, was, uh, you know, uh, an encryption uh, software, a PC-based uh, firewall for sunscreen, actually, for sun microsystems. Uh, so one uh, Russian company had developed that. But they had, so they had a very technical uh, team and they developed that. They never packaged it. So we have, we were somehow as a small team, uh, we had good processes, I would say, and we had a very good uh, way of working. So we brought the entire uh, source code from there and we packaged it and released it to the market within uh, six months. So that kind of uh, mm. things also we had tried actually. It was pretty good. Actually. Going to Moscow and uh, you know working with them and for a few weeks and then bringing the entire code here and uh, testing and. Uh, user interface, doing a good user interface and packaging it, all that. So even we tried in many areas like that, actually. It was very, very adventurous, I would say. Mm. You mentioned uh, that you played the role of a techno marketer. Yeah. What are uh, similarities or what can you leverage out of being a techie in marketing? Or what are some things that are 
probably not good as a marketer a good techie being a good marketer what is required yeah uh, one thing i found that i think it's also depends on the market probably uh, i would say it was the european market it was in switzerland actually and uh, there i found that it was uh, you know uh, we were quite welcome as uh, technical people uh, you know doing marketing and uh, they were also quite uh, informed well informed people in the the management also in the organizations where we go and talk about they were expect there were expectations about some of the being the you know it was very early indian market was not uh, so much uh, grown that time and giving a project to a small company in india was not that easy so it needed a lot more uh, convincing from our side about uh, how we are going to approach the project and uh, make it a success and uh, what are the benefits and all that so that needed a lot more uh, you know technical insights also to be brought up and uh, the marketing skills i would say is perseverance perseverance and uh, uh, understanding the local uh, language talking to them in between and then having a, you know starting a good conversation with the uh, senior people management there and uh, things like that so these are some of the traits i found uh, were very useful there actually mm, that's nice you also mentioned that um, you know the interest factor was something that we yeah. identifying the projects yeah so how were you able to balance that with uh, what the customers wanted yeah actually uh, customer i would i would rather say that uh, we were choosy about the customer itself <laughs> based on the project Okay. so we wouldn't take a project from a customer and turn it to a you know interesting project kind of thing but uh, we were cho- we were careful in choosing the the work itself that comes and uh, so that way probably we were a bit lucky to get uh, interesting projects for a long time you also mentioned that uh, you had pretty strong processes yeah and you also mentioned that uh, you transitioned to an agile coach learning under ken schwaber and all that yeah so what is your view on one orientation and you said that uh, you had a strong process focus in your team yeah yeah and then later on as you transitioned to agile yeah learning from ken schwaber yeah one of the myths or often heard statements yeah agile means no, no process or do whatever so yeah. one the first question is uh, now the significance or the importance of a process orientation in software development mm-hmm. to move from a process focus to agile focus is that any different did anything change in terms of your understanding or priorities or uh, what you would like to do or not like to do yeah so the process uh, orientation i would talk about first uh, though we were a very small team we were always particular about uh, you know giving uh, certain providing certain statuses to our customers maintaining certain level of uh, documentation and uh, so we didn't really worry about uh, cmmi and that kind of certification but we had a pretty solid uh, set of processes we were uh, we had defined and in fact uh, there are few customers who liked it so much our document and they actually took it from us to use it uh, in their organization even in switzerland there are a couple of companies who took it from us nice and uh, yeah and so 
and later on we got iso certification and all that but uh, initially we had a pretty strong kind of uh, the minimal things that we do and uh, uh, you know so that that was uh, uh, minimum documentation and we will also bring it up front in our uh, proposals and all that these are the kind of documentation these are the kind of things statuses we provide and so we had well defined uh, approach though we were a small company and uh, and that helped us a lot and uh, later on when i took the when i got into agile actually i found that even in the agile world uh, though there is a, we, it's a lean process and all that i think initially any team which is starting will need some processes and uh, as you move forward as you go become more and more mature you can actually reduce but uh, initially i have found most teams would need certain minimum number of uh, processes certain disciplines in the in their team otherwise they will find it uh, difficult so uh, i didn't really see a, a great uh, difference though in a in a big organization like uh, like siemens where i was chief consultant i was probably also lucky to be i was uh, the acpg leader uh, in that year uh, so because of that i could influence a lot at uh, acpg group level software engineering process group uh, level and so we defined a separate uh, so we had a quality documentation document which had all kinds of different projects that we use in that uh, unit and then what are the processes to be used for all that so i created a new path for agile projects and uh, brought in the set of processes that were required for that so actually we need not uh, had to look at uh, the other existing process at all so that way it will became very easy for teams to actually not get bogged down by the existing you know uh, the too much of documentation kind of thing but when we started we had some minimum uh, set of things and then uh, only it, it was more a gradual thing where uh, they will do away with processes over a period of time okay i don't know whether that uh, answered what you were looking for but uh, yeah it did it also triggered another question yeah uh, which is um, you know your uh, transition to agile yeah after your stint of being an entrepreneur also you know the techno marketing and everything else yeah as an entrepreneur i'm sure there is a lot of responsibility that you have and that too as a you know, co-founder or a promoter yeah sense of ownership yeah now when we talk about agile teams we also hear a lot about you know, self organized self managed self sustaining a lot of self 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 thing yeah so what has been your experience in terms of any of those kinds of attributes of ownership primarily being mm-hmm. in the team because you are a promoter or a co-founder or an owner yeah the team or a team member who is let's say employed gets a salary and all that yeah. how do you promote probably this is something that you come across in your coaching how do you create that sense of ownership yeah actually that's an excellent question i would say that's what is mean uh, been intriguing me in the industry when i see it you know many senior people in the in the industry i always fail to understand why uh, you know it takes so much time for them to unlearn earlier practices <laughs> somehow uh, though i was an entrepreneur and i had a lot of such uh, things you know ownership and responsibility and all that i mean uh, i would say I, 
the course, uh, the training of Ken Schwaber had a lot of uh, influence on me. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a big impact. I would say that uh, how much that the really the core of uh, agile is about uh, you know empowering people and all that. It came through very strongly in the in the training, and also uh, of course the two three days I spent with him, I had a lot of uh, discussions, conversations. Uh, after the training and all that, because he came all the way to Germany and we stayed together for three days there. So that was a, a big advantage. And uh, so it had a good impact on me. When I, when I came back from the training, uh, I actually uh, did a lot of thinking and, uh, you know, uh, I changed a lot even in, the, in, uh, in a big organization like that. And I, being in a position of uh, where I could influence, I... I could actually mentor a lot of uh, uh, people at the middle, middle leadership level and the middle management level and uh, all that. So in the industry, of course, that's one of the things I see is, uh, is the most difficult to do. You know, bringing up the mindset uh, in uh, you know, middle management level and uh, upper management level, that, that takes a lot of effort and time is what, what's my experience basically. You also mentioned that you, know, you have the experience of you know, training across different geographic locations. Yeah. Now, when you talk about agile and uh, many aspects, including things like this ownership mindset and all that. Yeah. As a coach, how does your own style change when you interact with different cultures, but still the basic you know, the values and principles are pretty much the same? I think that's that's again a very very nice question. I would say excellent question. That's uh, that's again. Uh, I have done a lot of uh, adopting myself, you know, for that. So even for the training, when I went, uh, when I go to Pune or when I go to Calcutta or uh, you know Delhi or Hyderabad or Trivandrum, I found different cultures or uh, Chennai, and uh, so I have coached teams in Pune and in uh, Chennai. And also in Malaysia, actually, uh, in brief stints of uh, coaching, a few days after the training and like that. So I find very, very different uh, cultures in each of these places. And uh, I first initially, uh, the long stint of coaching I did was in Pune, actually, in, in Bangalore and in Pune. So I, I did a lot of uh, thinking and, uh, you know, how to adopt and uh, change. And after that, uh, when I moved, when I started coaching teams in Chennai, again I found there is a there is a huge difference in culture, the way they work and all that. But I could identify some uh, very good aspects in each of these culture, which helped me a lot. And uh, so every time I go to a location for a coaching, I first drop my approach. I sit down and drop my approach. Uh, you know how I should actually go. So I changed my styles uh, a lot across teams and across uh, locations also. So sometimes I do a very standard way of embedded coaching, when we say. And sometimes, uh, you know, there are many senior people uh, in the teams where I don't, uh, at a team level, I don't do much, actually. Because when there are multiple senior people sitting and they all have uh, a lot of experience and they understand basically, uh, you know, what is a daily stand-up or a sprint planning and all that. So in those meetings, influencing many senior people, it's, it's not an easy job. So I, I used to influence them one-on-one. -on -one. 
uh, apart from work that is during coffee time or lunch time and things so i have approach i have adopted a few different approaches at uh, based on the you know uh, after studying the team little bit understanding and based on the culture and uh, you know based on the uh, locations and all that i would say i have tried a few things there yeah okay so the uh, complimentary <coughs> is um, when you experiment when you try different things and you also said you do one on one connections and relationships and all that yeah there have been instances when um, you probably hinted at something or probably gave some inputs but uh, it was either understood very differently or implemented very differently so in hindsight maybe it look uh, funny but uh, did not really achieve the intended purpose yeah yeah of course there has to be certain <laughs> experiences like that when we deal with so many uh, you know it basically we are dealing with people and uh, teams so i have found uh, people who were just not able to understand or not able to change so easily and uh, so they had a lot of difficulty in uh, changing themselves and uh, so there are couple of uh, teams where i have given up also where uh, i found it it's very difficult or probably my style did not uh, suit there uh, that also could be possible Yeah. and and uh, so because there is also one more reason that uh, some teams i used to coach scrum some teams you know kanban so that that again brings in an additional uh, you know dimension of uh, complexity or you know difference in change and all that so again you know adopting for a, di- at a different culture or different uh, way of working kanban different from scrum and uh, so these these are again challenges which uh, i have faced i would say largely uh, i have been able to uh, you know in, in, in get one thing i found always is that we have to really uh, be on the ground and uh, uh, get well with the with the teams if we do that we we can be largely successful i think so does it mean that uh, anybody can become a coach i mean uh, i can't say that but it needs a very good uh, you know mindset to change actually so if they can adopt and they are willing to stand on the ground and then uh, accept uh, probably you know uh, feedback from others and interact uh, well with people even with the youngsters understand and give importance to their uh, views and uh, don't go with any prejudice that you know they are all uh, youngsters they don't know anything or something like that actually youngsters are very very well informed and they can take their own decisions today i found that uh, they are uh, you know very well equipped uh, actually to work in the agile way and if we do not block them they can definitely be uh, successful uh, that's a, that's another thing that i have uh, i have discovered that a lot of times the teams don't do it well because there are some uh, you know blocks above if you leave them uh, i found largely uh they are very capable youngsters so this mindset is what is required we have to really unlearn and uh, especially senior uh, coaches we i think uh, you would have also experienced a lot i am sure we need to do a lot of unlearning and uh, understand their uh, you know stand in their shoes and then get into their shoes and understand their situation and if they can relate to them i think that uh, that really helps 
in coaching. So are there any techniques or practices that you would like to recommend to develop this empathy or not labeling people, like you said? I mean, uh, just go around and mix with them and then spend time, uh, you know, during a coffee time, tea time or lunch time and uh, you know, have a chat and discuss on uh, some general stuff. So basically develop a rapport. If you understand them, I think it will also help their personal, uh, you know, aspects or their interests. We also need to get some idea about that. It helps us to relate to them uh, much better. And uh, a formal way I would say is I do a lot of collaboration exercises. That is something which I, uh, I've been doing, trying uh, for a few years now. So that, uh, that has helped me a lot also to understand uh, in, you know, the, the team, individuals in the team. When I do these uh, collaboration exercises, activities, it, it helps me a lot also to understand their own personalities and, uh, you know, things like that. So are these uh, the ones that uh, some people also call as games? Uh, game, yeah. I mean, anything can be gamified. I would say some kind of... Uh, these are more like activities where they just express themselves. And uh, what I do is... Uh, uh, based on the teams where uh, they are, which position they are in, it may not be possible for all teams and everything. But initially, I just introduce some fun factor, and uh, for some time, and after that, uh, I make it little more serious, and then uh, bring make it you know little more serious like that. So when we take them through this kind of activities, one thing I found is uh, making them to. We are sitting in a retrospective meeting, let's say, and people are not opening up or talking. Trying to focus on making them to speak up in a retrospective meeting, it's, uh, I found it's, it may not be very effective. So I would actually work on behind and uh, have some uh, collaboration activities where I'll make them to speak up and uh, make them get into this, you know, the confidence to open up and put their views and all that. So when they start doing uh, away from the routine, uh, you know, the usual meetings and ceremonies of jail and all that, Without their knowledge, in those ceremonies, they start involving. So I found that is more a you know, natural way of uh, making them uh, do it. So uh, that is something which has really helped, I would say. So do you have any favorite activity? Oh, many of them. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I will just, uh, you know, uh, three questions, for example. Three, they write three things about themselves. Two of them are true and one of them is false. We pair up and, you know, another person has to ask questions and uh, find out which is the false statement. Okay. So, actually, this has generated a lot of fun in uh, some teams. Like this uh, small, small thing. I mean, there is no standard way. I keep uh, changing it every time. I, you know, any, any small fun activity where they share something about themselves, they interact with each other, they ask questions. All these things we can. So I have a number of such uh, activities which I actually do it with the teams. Mm, that's nice. Yeah, I guess probably this interest in constantly learning and okay, unlearning also that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. That uh, the reason why your interest in philosophy you mentioned also was. Yeah. yeah, philosophy actually fascinated me a lot. <laughs> Initially, I, I was kind of away from it. 
and uh, my father was a big philosopher so he used to conduct classes and all i never used to attend but uh, some point of time when i started uh, attending couple of uh, lessons somehow i got totally attracted and i found it very very structured and uh, very interesting and thought provoking and uh, it was uh, it was very good actually so i also found it a nice way to relax and uh, you know reading and writing it's a, it's a very good way to think and relax and uh, express yourself and all that so that probably has kept me the interest see one of the questions that um, listeners would be very keen on knowing from people like you is uh, how do you find time to do all this <laughs> okay yeah this is a very common uh, question whenever i go to any team or any individual in an organization when i ask them something they say i don't have time so don't have time is the most common excuse anybody gives but uh, in my opinion if so anybody has uh, interest in any subject they will find time so it is basically the passion or the interest that you need uh, if you have that i think time is always there i don't think there is there is anybody has uh, can say no time for anything they say no time that means no interest actually so we should develop some interest so i i some part of the coaching i also tell them to identify what is that interests us what is that interests them what is that excites them what is that they are passionate about and spend more time on that and then uh, develop you know more expertise and uh, perfection in that area that will help them to work uh, overall uh, do better actually i think they have uh, somehow become kind of in the industry i find youngsters are uh, dragged into routine kind of work and they don't even uh, understand what what is what they are passionate about what excites them so if we even this collaboration exercise has helped uh, some of the in some of the teams to team members to identify you know uh, take up some area and work on that that also i have seen in uh, some uh, individuals some of the teams so basically if you have passion i think you will have time uh, i i would say that is a that is simplest answer i can say and i think everybody has time <laughs> i wouldn't say that they don't have time is not a not an excuse according to me yeah that's a, again <laughs> uh, probably a simple way to put it so the last question i had yeah. was um, the activities that you talked about yeah at least sounded more like being the behavioral kind of activities are there any activities you like to instill a sense of um, better engineering practices you know we started with processes so to build basically better software so that the amount of mundane or routine work is less for the future generation that would be more you know uh, pairing up and things like that so the actually the engineering practices uh, for example pair programming is something for a like you know it could be test driven development or automation or anything pair programming may not be an engineering practice as such but uh, i would say it helps a lot in uh, uh, in reviews and uh, cross training and, and things like that so i encourage teams to do you know uh, one hour pair up with any one in the any one person in the team 
where you just go and sit with one another person and spend one hour in a in a day or you know in a in a week or whatever it is so over a period of time you will find that a lot of cross learning is there within the team and uh, for example uh, if you have to do reviews uh, when they are developing and review tester and a coder sitting together or designer and a tester sitting together so it helps them a lot to do uh, cross reviews and all those things and they when they start spending like this they will also think about uh, other practices like automation or uh, to speed up or so i i don't know whether engineering practices have not tried introducing them through activities as such but uh, basically a good good collaboration pairing up and uh, all these things uh, and uh, good retrospections on uh, how to avoid uh, manual work and you know what are the ways to improve and things like that probably uh, may help but i have not really tried uh, uh, introducing engineering practices through through activities kind of maybe a good area to work on <laughs> you have any other messages or advice for people who want to get into software but there's always this uh, fear nowadays that uh, ai will take over and there is no need for <laughs> yeah yeah actually the some of the reports and data is showing that but in the industry i don't really see a direct impact of that uh, that much i would say it still be human brains are still needed i mean whatever kind of automation or anything we do there are always new areas coming up and uh, new technologies new way you know areas of work that are coming up and things like that and uh, it is always needed i would say just you know initially when software for beginners i would say uh, getting expertise in some area is very important whatever area they they are, they are passionate about or they are interested in work a lot and uh, you know if i am a if i am a c coder then i should i should be an expert in that anything anybody wants to know i should be able to answer kind of thing so if you start working like that move towards some kind of a perfection in some areas any one area i think it will help them to even adopt later to newer areas and uh, uh, you know uh, adopt easily when there are changes in the industry or market things like that but uh, the impact of uh, automation and all that uh, it is there in the in the reports and data but in in reality i have not really come across that in uh, uh, that much i would say but oh, that's very reassuring yeah just <laughs> we will continue to grow yeah yeah so thanks a lot ayan for sharing all this i learned a lot and i'm sure uh, you going to be of interest to our listeners as well Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Shiv. It's been uh, great talking to you. Thanks. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community, or know someone else who might want to do that. please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com there is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com please rate the show on podchaser stitcher itunes or any other podcast client that you find us on 
please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address, podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.